this incredibly important time, Lord, how our hearts need to be circumcised, how they need to be cut, how we want to hear from you, Lord, separate, distinct, and apart from everything else that we're hearing in the world. I pray this in Jesus' name, Lord. Uh, speak to us. I pray that I would not be a hindrance to everything that you want to tell us this morning. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So last week we saw Jesus at the very, very beginning of his ministry, of his public ministry, teaching at the synagogue. Verse 22 says of this chapter of Mark says that um, those who were present were astonished at his teaching. And then apparently, all of the sudden, in the, right in the middle of his teaching, a man possessed by a demonic spirit who previously appears to have gone completely unnoticed, he just blurts out, he cries out, uh, verse, uh, uh, verse uh, 24, let us alone. Let us alone. Let us alone, what have we do to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And so, right in the middle, the men and women present, no doubt, go from being astonished at Jesus' teaching, astonished at hearing the voice of a demon. Verse 27 and 28 says Jesus, uh, rather it says that Jesus casts out the demon in verse 25. And then we see in verse 27, it says, then they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region of Galilee. The scene moves from there to the house of the Apostle Peter's, well, to the Apostle Peter's house where his, the Apostle Peter's mother-in-law is, had been struck with a, a fever and Jesus heals her and she immediately gets up and she starts serving those who are in the house. And then verse 32 says that evening, When the sun had set, and this is where we began this morning. At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. The whole city is gathered together at the door of this house the whole city. What a scene. And as I was really taking that verse in, reflecting on it, 
the whole city is gathered at his door. The city of Capernaum it wasn't a, a tiny fishing village. It was a city familiar to the people in Israel. You have the whole city, and I was, and I was just reflecting, oh, how the world needs God. How desperately the world needs God. The world is so needy. It is so needy. It so needs God. And here you have a picture of a world desperate for God. They've all congregated at a house. We live in a world that is running away from God as if they don't need Him. Not even thinking about Him. But could there be a scene more foolish than a young child, seven or eight years old, packing up some food and clothes and running away from their home, convinced they have no need for their father or mother? Can there be any scene more foolish than that? Yet that is exactly what the world looks like. That's, that's how foolish the world looks. Running away from God, packing their lunch. Convinced that they have no need for God. Is there a scene more foolish than that of a city that goes hard after its own business, convinced that it has no need of God. But here in Mark chapter 1, verse 33, the Son of God in the house, the Son of God, people said, it said they were astonished at his teaching earlier in the chapter. And he's in the cities, in the house, and the whole city is gathered um, at the door and, and, and acknowledging, at least in this moment of history, we are desperate to, to, to get a hold of this man for more of him. And oh, that the Spirit of God came down on the churches of Boston in such a powerful way that the whole city gathered at the doors of, of the churches recognizing their desperate need for God. Oh, that um, you watching this sermon or hearing it would, would just, that th- th- this picture of a city gathered around this door would just drive you to pray or drive you to your knees for this city, your city. It needs God, but it's packing, packed up its lunch and it's far away from him, convinced. I have no need for God. That may have been in the history of this city. That may have been in the early, that may have been the foundation um, of the city, the first governor calling it the city on the hill, referring to a city of God on the hill. But that, that we packed our lunch. We left that long ago. There's no need for God. Look what we've done without God. I was just as I commonly do, going through the, the, the woods um, in, in Dover, west of the city of Boston. It's just as the sun was uh, setting last night, going up on an overlook 
in the middle of the forest looking over the city. It was such a privilege to pray. I, I, was, just, I was just so blessed by the Lord. It's just such a privilege to, to pray because from out there, there's a direct view of the downtown and the, the sun is hitting it. And I'm like, Lord, please, please bring this city to repentance. Do the same thing, Lord. Today we pray, do the same thing as, as, as happened. We're, we're, we're there at the door. Now, now, unfortunately with Capernaum, there's not a good ending. But there was this initial acknowledgement that, that, okay, there's something about this man. And, 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 and then it goes on to say in verse 34, it says, then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. They were shouting out. We see in the parallel verses in Luke, they were shouting out, you're the son of God, you're the Christ. He didn't want a peanut gallery. He didn't want a, a, a cheering section uh, to be comprised of, of demons. <laughs> you, it, you see a similar scene in, 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 uh, in the book of Acts where, where uh, there's a woman who is possessed by a demon following uh, Paul saying, uh, saying to everyone who was willing to listen, hey, Follow this guy. He has the words of the, of the Most High God and he casts out that demon. Jesus actually does the same thing. He doesn't want his cheering section to be a bunch of demons. It says he cast out the demons because, at the end of verse 34, very strange sounding verse until you really study the Bible and understand what, because they knew him. That's not, the, that's not what he needed what he was going to accomplish, what, what he came uh, to earth to do soon enough when he would be coming into Jerusalem in a few years, they, the people cried out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then when people asked him to tell them to be quiet, he said, no, I'm not. Because and even if I did, the stones would cry out. And then he rose from the dead, he appeared to his disciples. Thomas didn't believe in, until he showed up and, and, and put his hand in Jesus' side and then he, he fell down and he worshiped and he said, my Lord and my God. So Jesus, Jesus came to earth not to be getting a chorus of praise from demons. And that's why it says here, he says he did not allow them to speak because they knew him, but to, to have a chorus of, of you guys, you all in this room, crying out after, after he, he does that real work in your hearts, crying out, my Lord and my God. And that will happen in due time. But some strange sights to be sure as Jesus begins his public ministry. It says this, it, it, they're all at his house and the sun is setting and he says they're all, the whole city's gathered at his, at his door and it says again that, that he healed many who were sick with various diseases. Now, um, the book of Luke says this. It's the parallel verse in, in Luke. It says when the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and then importantly, this is what I want you to see by going over to the verse in Luke here. It's the advantage of, 
of one method of studying the Bible, at least the Gospels, is when you read a verse in one Gospel, see what the other Gospels say. It's, it's a great way to study the Bible. It says he laid his hands on every one of them. He laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. He could have said a word and healed all of them at the same time. There's probably about 1,500 people around his house. He could, have, he, he, he could have said a word and, and, and healed all of them. At least one time we know that Jesus did with a, with a group of people. He just healed them with a word. Very rare that he did that, though. He didn't do that. He, but he could have spared himself an enormous amount of work and energy. Some of you remember in the Old Testament, Moses and the Israelites in the wilderness. At one point, there was a plague of poisonous snakes in the book of Numbers. They were among the people, all 1.5 million of them, <laughs> killing people. You, you, you read about this um, from time to time, this, this type of thing. It, it does happen, just a, 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 this kind of thing. But they were killing the people, and the Lord directed Moses to make a bronze serpent, lift it up in the sky, and then whoever looked at the serpent would be healed of their snake bite. It doesn't say how many people were healed. But again, between 1.5 and 2 million people, I, I believe there was thousands just healed looking at that bronze serpent. Why doesn't Jesus do that here? Jesus probably spends six or seven hours Laying his hand, it says, can we get that back up on, uh, in Luke? It says, every single one of them, every single one of them, he laid his hands on them to heal them. Why doesn't he do that here? Why doesn't he do that? Because that's not what you need. That's not what you need. Your heart and every human heart longs to be touched by God personally. What every human being needs is not a relationship with a God. You walk into a cathedral, and this is what some of my childhood church experience was like, and there's like this cavernous cathedral, and God is the Father, and he's... He's, he's far off. Not a whole lot of mention of Jesus in the churches that I grew up in. It was just this God concept. No, that's not what you need. That's not what I need. We need a one-on-one -on -one individual relationship with God. I not only need to know that God loves the world, and certainly he does. I need to know that God loves me. I need to know that God loves me. The human heart so desperately needs to know it is loved by God, separate and apart from every other human being in the world. That's not selfishness. That's the way I was made. That's the way you are made. 
It is not selfish to cry out to God, okay, enough, Lord. I need you to touch my life. That's the, may, that's the way God made you to be loved, to, to love you separate and distinct and apart from every other human being in the world. That's what makes, one of the things that makes Christianity, Christianity utterly unique. Paul says this, love this verse. He, uh, he says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, now importantly, who loved me, not loved the world. Yeah, there's verses about that. But he says, who loved me. That's incredibly selfish of you, Paul. Like, doesn't matter. He loved me, the Bible says, and gave himself for the world. Well, that's true. But he also gave himself for me. That's what you need. That's why Jesus takes hours touching every single person there in that city. God doesn't see humanity like this mass of humanity, seven billion people, uh, he, he, which, you know, pantheism, Eastern religion, they're all somehow connected to each other, uh, this, this type of thing. I grew up in churches, that, and, and I, I, I don't want to harp on this. I've been on this for a few weeks now, but I grew up in churches that uh, there was not this concept of a personal relationship with the Lord. I asked my father one time, um, who, who uh, led our, our, our family to a, a Christian church. Um, he, he was in his early 40s. He had never been in one. And, and for the first time, and, and I, asked, I asked him one time, what happened? What happened in that church? in Dover, Massachusetts, that we grew up in. What was it like? He said, even, even then, even th though I didn't know anything about God, it was creepy. I remember one time he said, he, sa he told me the pastor got everyone to um, hold hands in a circle, and then he said, okay, now close your eyes and feel your elect the electricity going around the circle. This is in the early 70s. Just craziness. God wants the electricity going between him and you distinctly. It, it, it's not this th thing where God just, you know, views the whole world like a blob of humanity. No, he loves you just, right, just where you are at. We've come back into the gospel to study Jesus because we want to know, we want to see who he is, what he does, what he says. He touches every single person who needed healing individually rather than doing it in a word. Let's go on, verse 35. It says in verse 35, it says, Now in the morning, having risen a long time before daylight, He went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. If you have a pen, underline that. Everyone is looking for you. Everyone is looking for you, Jesus. 
But, and circle that, he said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also because for this purpose I have come forth. I want to go to the book of Luke and read the parallel verse in the book of Luke. It says the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also because of this purpose I have been sent. That's in Luke 4, verses 42 through 43. Can we, uh, uh, Caillou and Josue, can we go to the previous screen? Notice here it says, they sought him and came to him and tried to keep him. It says. So notice, everyone is certain... (laughs) They're certain that Jesus was supposed, what was Jesus was supposed to do next. They were certain. What could be more obvious? There are multitudes of people. The crowd saw them, ministries right here, you stay here. Jesus says, no, I must go to the other cities and preach there also because for that, for this purpose, for this purpose, verse 33 says, I have come forth. Now don't miss this. Don't miss this Calvary Chapel. What was the reason that Jesus didn't go along with the crowds here? It says, because for this purpose I came forth, and what was it? That I might preach there also. So the presidential election is on upon us, and the noise of the crowd is deafening. (laughs) And they're absolutely certain what you need to do. They're absolutely certain. Every voice out there. If there's there's only one thing in common that I've noticed with the voices that I'm hearing nowadays, it's that everyone's certain of what I should be doing and thinking. These, the crowd is sure of what you should be doing, what you should be thinking, what you should be hating, what you should be loving, what you should be reading, what you should be spending your time with. You know, these verses in Mark strike me. The crowd wanted one thing, and Jesus says, no. I need to move on in order to to preach. And it says in Mark one thirty nine, he did. It says he, and then he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee, and he was casting out demons. Now, does anyone remember from the message a few weeks ago, the first recorded preaching that Jesus gave in a synagogue, or if you will, in a church? And we were in verses. Uh, 21 and 22, and we were talking about verse 22, which says they were astonished at his teaching. Well, what were they astonished at? Well, we went um, actually also, it's also in the book of Luke, to the first recorded teaching in a synagogue. Does anyone remember what that was? 
Well, this was it. This is what he's saying. No, I got to leave and I got to go teach. It was for this purpose. It's, this crowd wants something from me, but I need to go on because for this purpose, and I'm not going to lose the purpose that God has for my life. Remember, this is what it was. And, and this is one of the most riveting scenes in the whole uh, Bible. This is Jesus' first recorded message. He gets up, they hand him a book, he opens up to the book of Isaiah, and this is what he says. And it says, all the eyes of the people were fastened on him. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's reading from the book of Isaiah. But he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel, the good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, what the acceptable year of the Lord is, it's the, it's the freedom that God is willingly g- gives to his people in the year of Jubilee. But then it says this. It says, then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He said, no, I'm not going to. I know the crowd's looking for me. I know that. But I must go on and preach. Preach what? This. That scripture has been fulfilled. Can we have the previous screen, Josue? Scripture has been uh, 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 fulfilled. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he has anointed me. It's been fulfilled. I, know, I need to go on and I need to continue that. Continue that. And, and so you see, what does he do? It says in the following verse, in verse 39, he goes. And he does what God has called him to do. But let me tell you. You wouldn't believe the pressure on me. On me. Intense personal pressure on me to turn this pulpit into a place where a partisan political speech is given. I mean intense from from all kinds of different sources. And, and, and what, I, what I, I have been hearing um, over and over again just in the last week or two is for a pastor to do anything else is a cop-out. You're copping out if you don't make a partisan political statement. And they are certain, because that's the only thing that everyone has in common today. They're certain about what they believe. They're certain that they are, they are correct. From all kinds of, of, of places to, to, the, uh, to the point where there have been play, that times where am, am I like, Lord, 
am I crazy and everyone else is sane? Is that what is going on now? Is there something wrong with me? And it was just so encouraging. It was so encouraging to read this message where it says, it says, Peter says in verse 37, Jesus, everyone's looking for you. Everyone's got an agenda for you. Everyone's trying to get, we saw in Luke, every, it says everyone was trying to get Jesus to leave what he was called to do. And, 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 and what was his response? No. The purpose for which I am called to do is very different from what they're wanting me to do now. I am going and I'm continuing this message that we have here in Luke chapter 4. Again, Josue, can we have that? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. To send me to the heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery to the sight of blind. To set at liberty uh, to um, those who are oppressed. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. If this is not my focus, Calvary Chapel. If, if this is not my focus, I am ripping you off. You're getting ripped off. You're, you're just getting what you can get anywhere. I'm ripping you off. If, if I get up here and talk about a presidential candidate to, uh, to, uh, for you to vote for, I'm ripping you off. Listen, I'm a strong believer in voting. I'm a strong believer in Christian per, uh, participating in the political process. But pre let me tell you, presidential candidates do not save this country. Only Jesus saves. And whoever wins this election, it's the one that God appointed to, to do a work that he wants to do. And it may be a very humbling work. And oh, if there's anything that's true that I'm certain of, it's that this country needs a humbling. It needs a breaking. But don't miss my point here. Don't miss the point, please. There's only one thing that's going to keep me from going with what the crowd wants me to do. There's only one thing that's gonna keep you from doing what the crowd wants you to do. What is it? Question and answer time. Oh man, it's been 25 minutes, almost, almost at the end. I haven't asked a question. What is it? Look at the verses. What's the only thing that's gonna keep you from doing what the crowd wants you to do? Children, there's children in this room right now. These verses have something to say about the only thing that's going to prevent you from doing what the crowd wants you to do. What is it? What's that? Praying in the silent place. What does it say? Verse 35. Now in the morning having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place and there he prayed. Listen, Jesus knew that he was under, 
under overwhelming pressure from the crowd. At one point, by the way, the crowd tries to physically take him and make him king. You see that in, I think it's John chapter 6. But he knows there's overwhelming pressure for him to behave in a way. And it says in the book of Hebrews chapter 4 that Jesus was tempted in every single way that you have been tempted yet without sin. I wish I could tell you there was another way because I know it's difficult. But I really mean this. If you're not getting alone with God and getting into a place by yourself, you will follow the crowd. And sometimes the crowd is a Christian crowd trying to pull you in a direction God has never asked you to go into. You know, I know it's different, difficult. And as I was preparing for the sermon, it, it's pretty amazing, isn't it? It says that Jesus touched, we read that the whole city gathered uh, at his door at night, and he touched every single one of them. How many hours did that take? But then it says in verse uh, uh, 35, that he arose a long time before daylight to go to a desolate place. I know it's hard. I can't, but I can't tell you how many times it's the busyness of life. Just this last week, uh, I, I was hearing from a, a ministry at a church where the, the people involved in the ministry stopped getting up and and getting alone with God and, and opening up and having their time with God because things had gotten so busy. I get it. And, and you know, it doesn't have to be in the morning. And I, I have 30 years of witnessing my wife. She doesn't do her Bible study in the morning. You'll see a lot of legalistic, pharisaical sermons. You gotta do it in the morning. Look what Jesus did. It's not a law. <laughs> Don't make a New Testament verse a law. John chapter one says, Moses came, gave us the law. Jesus came to give grace and truth. I've seen Stephanie do it for, for years and years. And, and, but I'm very mindful of the fact that we're having baby after new baby after new baby after new baby. And do you know how hard it is to have a time alone with God when you have a new baby in your house, especially when there's other kids in the house with you. Husbands, listen. You have got to make it your first priority of ministry to make sure your wives get some time alone with God. And if you're a single mom and, and you don't have that, you, you, contact us. We will do what's necessary to try to get you at some time during the week, a time alone with God because moms, if you do not do that, the Bible says you will go along with the crowd. You will raise those kids like the crowd wants you to raise those kids. Men, the same thing. I get it. I get how hard um, it, it was to work. Once upon a time, I had a full-time job. I was a, a, a pastor, a wife, and a father of five kids. I, I, I know. I know what it's like. 
But I also know this, if I know anything, if I don't get alone with God for as, as surely as my name is Steve Cole, I will start doing what the crowd is doing. I would be up here giving a partisan political speech. That's what I would be doing. So encouraging. On the night of election, of, uh, on the, uh, right before the election to be reading this. You know, I... I, I I was reading this book, The Necessity of Prayer, and it says this. It was claimed that Augustus Caesar, that was the first Roman emperor, he found Rome a city of wood. He left it a city of marble. The pastor who succeeds in changing his people from a prayerless people to a prayerful people has done a greater work than August, uh, August um, not Augustus, rather. I said Augustine. It's Caesar Augustus. In changing a city from wood to marble. And after all, this is the prime work of a pastor. Primarily, he is dealing with prayerless people. With people of whom it is said, God is not in all their thoughts. Such people he meets everywhere, all the time. His main business... This is a pastor talking to a pastor. The main business of a pastor is to turn them from being forgetful of God, from people being devoid of faith, from being prayerless, so that they become people who habitually pray, who believe in God, who remember God, and do his will. The preacher is not sent merely to induce men to join the church, not merely to get them to do better. It's to get them to pray, to trust God, to keep God ever before their eyes, that they may not sin against them. The work of the ministry is to change unbelieving sinners into praying and believing saints. And you say, what's a scriptural basis to that? And I say, Mark chapter 1, verses 32 through 39. Jesus had enormous pressure from the crowd. But he said, no. I'm not going along with the crowd. And he went on. And he continued to do what he says here, that to which he was called. He says, for this purpose I have come. Listen, Calvary Chapel, you're here for a purpose. I'm not talking about here in this room. I'm talking about planet Earth. And God delights in showing you what that purpose is. You gotta get alone with the Lord you gotta get alone this Tuesday night the, the, day, the, the day of the election um, instead, instead of uh, the regular time of me going through now we're now in the book of 2nd Samuel we're just gonna have a time from 7 to 9 o'clock of calling on the name of the Lord and I promise you if I have anything to do with this, it won't be praying for a particular result of the voting. It will be praying for 
the Lord to do a mighty work in our nation regardless of who wins. Well, certainly we can pray for the Lord's will, you know, in, in the election. But just calling on the name of the Lord, lest we go along with the crowd. So we're going to be doing that this Tuesday night. I, I, I strongly recommend it, 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 this in such a, a climactic, pivotal time in our history. This uh, uh, Tuesday night, you can, if, again, we'll be sending out reminder emails. Um, you got to get on the church email list with the Zoom link. But we will be meeting on Zoom, and I'll be leading this time at this pivotal time, just crying out to, to, to the Lord. The crowd would have us say, this election is what is going to make a difference in our country. But we will say, no, God, you are going to make the difference in our country. And just imitating what Jesus did, although we won't be in a solitary place, although Zoom sometimes feels like that, right? <laughs> I feel like I'm in a solitary, desolate place looking into this uh, computer screen. But we will be calling on the name of the Lord. Okay, so we're out of time. I'll ask the worship team uh, to come up. You know, I was going to... Um, I, I wanted to spend a little time, but our time is, uh, we don't have any more time. What exactly was Jesus praying? And I was going to give you what I think it was likely that he was praying. I, I believe he's praying the Psalms. He quotes the Psalms more than any other, more than any other uh, book of the Old Testament. I think Deuteronomy is number two, but Psalms is, he, he quotes more than any other. And, and he actually, we know on the cross, he actually prays. He, we know that Jesus prayed the Psalms because it's in the Bible. And I say this, and I know it sounds a little corny, but a Psalm a day will keep the devil away. It really is true. It will turn you into a person who understands prayer. It really will. If you just, even if you just do it one at a time and just step into the shoes of the person who's crying out, it's usually David. De Jesus, of course, is the son of David. It's one of his titles. And it, it, it's just so interesting when you read the Psalms, it, 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 and we're, you know, it, it, they're, they're all about, okay, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? I was, I, I was in Psalm 119 uh, thinking, well, maybe it was in Psalm 119 that he was crying from. And every time it says, it talks about your law, your commandments, your testimonies, I underlined your, and you would not believe <laughs> how, how, how many times the word your appears. What do you want, Lord? I know everyone's telling me what to do, but what do you want? I, don't know what, I want to know what you want. I know what logic and reason. What do you want? And I believe that's what Jesus that was in his regular prayer appetite, his regular prayer meal was the Psalms because it's like everyone's telling me to do this. Okay, but what do you want, Lord? And it's just a crying out. But why don't you rise? We're going to close with a worship song. Please consider joining us Tuesday night for prayer, 7 to 9 p.m. as we call on the Lord. Let me close in with a brief prayer. And let's, let's close out worshiping God.
things about worship that um, we, would, we would do well if somehow we were like Jesus going to a desolate place and just somehow try to, even if it takes just imagining we're the only person in the room, just you and the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you do that with us? you bring us to the place where it's just us and you and let us worship you Lord Father I pray that you would continue this message in the hearts of your people Lord even as we worship you now in Jesus name